0: Hey there, welcome back to Vegetarian Zen, a peaceful place for vegetarians, vegans, and the veg curious to share tips for living a more compassionate plant-based lifestyle. I am one of your hosts, Vicki.
1: And this is Larissa.
0: Today on the podcast, we are excited to welcome recognized expert and thought leader in the culinary, social, ethical, and practical aspects of living vegan, Colleen Patrick-Goudreau. Colleen is an award-winning author and hosts two podcasts, Food for Thought and Animology. Today, we'll be talking more in depth about those podcasts and also her latest book, The Joyful Vegan. Before we get into our interview, we want to talk to you about Audible. Now, I read a
1: ton of books. A ton. A ton. And, and we have a lot of books in our house, if you could see our house. But I'll tell you what, we would have way more books, physical books, if it had, were it not for Audible.
0: Yes. Audible is the world's largest producer and provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, enriching the lives of millions of listeners every day. Their customer-centric approach Technological innovations and superior programming have reinvented the way that we consume books, making Audible a driving force behind today's audio entertainment revolution. Now, I've been a member of Audible for at least five years. Oh, at least. I think probably more. That's just a guesstimate, I think. But uh, I love what I love about Audible is that, first of all, they have an extensive library. That's one of the first places I go when I'm looking for a book to see if it's on Audible. And by the way, our guest today has her book on Audible. So you will find The Joyful Vegan out there. But the other thing I really love about it is the ability to listen anywhere I go. Because one of the biggest obstacles to me consuming books in the past, before I was a member, was that I just never seemed to find the time to sit and read. Now, I still enjoy a nice hard copy book, but Audible has made it really easy for me to read.
1: Mm, Right. So on the go. So on your walks, in the car. I mean, it's, it's usually not a good idea to drive and read a book. (laughs) <laughs> um, but with Audible, you can listen to your favorite books. Yeah. And what you, what you get with an Audible
0: subscription, you you get a 30-day free trial membership, and that includes two audiobooks and two Audible originals to get you started. And by the way, those Audible originals are awesome. I love them. Uh, after the free trial, you'll get three titles of your choice each month, and that includes one audiobook and two Audible originals. You can easily exchange selections that you don't like. And I haven't had to do that very often, but I think I have done it once or twice twice which isn't a lot Uh, and you can and it was very easy to do and you can cancel anytime and your audiobooks are yours to keep forever so for more information you can check out the show notes of this episode at vegetarianzen.com forward slash 352 or you can head out to vegetarianzen.com forward slash audible all right are we ready to get into our interview
1: we are this is exciting
0: Colleen Patrick-Goudreau is an award-winning author of seven books, including the best-selling The Joy of Vegan Baking, The Vegan Table... Color Me Vegan, I like that one, <laughs> Vegan's uh, Daily Companion on Being Vegan and the 30-Day Vegan Challenge. She is an acclaimed speaker and beloved host of the inspiring podcast, Food for Thought, which has been voted favorite podcast by Veg News Magazine readers several years in a row, and her new podcast, Animology, is changing the way we talk about animals. She also co-founded the political action committee East Bay Animal Pack, to work with government officials on animal issues in the San Francisco Bay Area. Colleen shares her message of compassion and wellness on national and regional TV and radio programs, including on a monthly vegan segment of Good Day Sacramento and as a monthly contributor to national public radio. She has appeared on the Food Network, CBS, PBS, and Fox interviews. And I'm chuckling because, wow, when does she sleep? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Interviews with her have been featured on NPR, Huffington Post, U.S. News, and World Report. And her recipes have been featured on Epicurious.com and Oprah.com. Colleen lives in Oakland, California with her husband, David, and two cats, Charlie and Mich- Michiko, Michico, I think. So without further ado, let's bring Colleen on the show. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Hi. Thanks, you too. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. welcome. We're so happy that you're here.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Okay, we are really excited to start talking about your book, uh, Joyful Vegan, that just came out. But before we do that, can you tell our community a little bit about yourself? Sure, <laughs> my
2: name is Colleen Patrick-Goudreau. I have been uh, uh-huh. vegan for 20 years and i have been guiding people to really their own compassion and their own whatever whatever reason people come to this this being wanting to reduce wanting to stop eating animal products. Uh, I've been guiding people through this journey for 20 years now. Prior to that, I was vegetarian. Prior to that, I was pescatarian. As like with many people, we have a journey and, uh, and, uh, and it's not a perfect one and it's not always a linear one. But, um, but I do, having done this for a long time, I do know what people's challenges tend to be, what questions they ask. And I really just try to fill in the gaps for people and to give them the resources they need so that they can feel empowered to reflect their compassion uh, and their desire to be healthy uh, in their behavior.
0: Yeah, it's definitely all about the journey. I, I really like what you say in your book about it being a journey and not just like, ta-da, I'm here, you know, and then it is it is a constant kind of evolvement.
2: Yeah, well, it is, a, actually, it is a means to an end rather than an end in itself. And I think that's what you're getting at. Uh, the, the, I think it's portrayed a lot that it is the destination uh, when obviously we're not done. I mean, we're not finished, whatever that means. I do think it is a culmination and a manifestation of our deepest values. And that is exciting. And it is really beautiful and liberating to live in such a way that you can reflect your values and manifest them in your behavior. To me, that is really beautiful. But of course, we're human. We have lots more to do after that and we live in a culture that doesn't necessarily support us doing that because it rocks other people's worlds for different reasons and we can talk about that and that's what i talk about in the joyful vegan is why why it's so difficult for some people living in this you know why it's so difficult for people period and then it's you know it's because we live in a culture that you know wherever we're, we're not part of the status quo we are a minority and that has its own challenges so so much my point is that it's not an end in itself it is a means to an end. And when you look at it that way, you just don't get hung up on perfection. You just do your best to to live healthfully and compassionately.
1: Well, and you know, I that is so true. And and I really love the way that you have the joyful vegan set up. Um, I like that you characterize it, um, as you were saying, as becoming vegan and its stages. And that's the way you have your chapters set up. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that, but it it's set up as um, – stages. And that mindset kind of is right in line with our audience uh, along the entire eating uh, lifestyle spectrum. Mm. Uh, you know, we have people who are, um, as we mentioned before, you know, still still uh, omnivore, but, you know, veg curious and trying to, to reduce for um, various reasons. And I think that the, the stages mindset fits perfectly into that.
0: Right on, right on. Colleen, in, in the book, you talk about, you tell a very powerful story. And when I was reading this story, I got a lump in my throat when I was reading it. Um, it's about in the Finding Your Voice chapter where you talk about how to talk to a hunter or anyone else with whom you disagree. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that story? Because when I was reading it, like I said, I was just, I was just turning the pages <laughs> as I was reading that and uh, I thought it was very powerful. Thank you.
2: Thank you. It was all in the spirit of like, right, I want to be the best human I can be and I want to practice what I preach. And so this was several years ago now. And I was uh, volunteering at Farm Sanctuary, which is, well, we'll, they did have a sanctuary up uh, in Northern California. Now they're just mostly in Southern California and New York. And uh, I was spending lots of time there. And there is a dove shoot on government property that abuts the sanctuary. And I volunteered to patrol the border basically with two aims. One was to make sure that the shooters did not shoot over the fence line and to also potentially help any birds who may have been shot and injured and we could have helped. We couldn't do anything to stop this particular shoot. It happens every year. It's government, you know, on government property. And and farm sanctuary, of course, has to keep you know good good neighbors uh, where they are and keep their animals safe, so really that was my goal, and that w- that was my aim that was the reason I was there and I was scared to death because here I you know am volunteering for something where i 'm standing there watching people shoot birds and shoot birds out of out of trees and shoot them in the trees and shoot nesting birds. And, you know, it was incredibly violent and it was very upsetting. And I had to make a decision about how I was going to approach it. And I really, really made the decision to not want to see the men. And it was mostly men. There were women the next day and children as well, but it was mostly men. And I made the point in my mind, the decision to not see them as the other, to not demonize them and to not stand there all day in the stance and with the perspective of anger and judgment and separation. And, and it was as much for, Me, as it was for kind of the whole situation. I didn't want to have hate in my heart because that meant I had hate in my heart. I didn't want to stand there in judgment because it meant that I was going to be judgmental. So I had no intention of affecting the entire situation. I had no intention of, you know, having any. Uh, effect on the men themselves, or or anybody who was there. It was really just so I wasn't in this position of hatred and judgment, and so I made this decision and I chose to stand there. And I was there all day, and I chose to stand there both in a physical stance of openness. And you can imagine, you know, a closed stance would be me standing there with my arms folded and kind of standing there with you know this judgmental <laughs> boom <laughs> look and right and facial expression anger. I want them to see that I'm angry. I want them to know how I feel, know that I'm opposed to this. Well, there was no doubt that we were opposed to it. We were at a sanctuary, right? I mean, so so they weren't going to, you know, mistake me for supporting them by just standing there. And I also chose to kind of create this mantra in my head um, because I I kind of, try to live by the philosophy. When we go into any situation, this is also in any relationship, even relationship, you know, close relationships with friends or lovers or what have you, is that it's, you know, when we think, when we have a conflict with someone and we feel like they're, you know, not being compassionate or they're not being kind or they're not being patient or they're not being understanding, the idea isn't to try and get them to do those things. The idea is to recognize that what's lacking is patience or understanding or compassion. And so so the idea is for us to bring that to the relationship, even if we feel that they're the ones who should be bringing it. So I recognized that in that field that day, what was lacking, in my opinion, was compassion and kindness and, you know, sense of love and peace. And I thought, well, I better bring that. Because that's not happening here, so that's what I want to bring, and that's that's what I did all day, and I repeated this mantra in my head, that, you know, something like, you know, may there be compassion in this in my heart, and may there be compassion in, in this field and in their hearts, and just kind of all day long. And when they would shoot, and they would shoot the birds, and I would see them fall, and they would cheer, and oh, it was so painful. And I just kept repeating this mantra and staying in this open stance. And the be- the bonus, uh, the the benefit was that I. I felt very moved and I felt very much full of love and compassion. That was the benefit. The bonus was that it seemed to have affected them as well. And we had interactions that we could never have had, had I chosen to be different. And so I've used that as an example for myself and I've used it as a story to tell others, for them to hopefully glean whatever they, they will from it, but quite literally meaning, you know, when we go into relationship, when we go into communication with people, whatever it's about, and obviously this particular issue around animal issues and veganism and compassion can be very difficult and challenging. And so here, here are some tools perhaps, or just some perspectives to go into these conversations with. and it And it really you know, the point is that it comes down to me and it's my responsibility. What am I bringing to this interaction? What am I bringing to this relationship? What am I bringing to this conversation regardless of what the other person's doing? And if I could do that in a really difficult situation, like watching people shoot innocent birds all day long, then I'm, you know, then I'm sure I can do it. And, you know, just having a difficult conversation with, with anybody. Right. So that, that's what that story is all about.
0: Yeah, I, I, even you telling it again, I just got all teary. I mean, well, that takes a lot of strength to do that. It was hard. Yeah, it I does. can imagine.
1: It does, and and you know, you're you're a much stronger person than I am because I I, I couldn't do that. I can't, you know. And Vicky will will um, uh, agree with me on this that I can't watch movies where um, if there's an animal and there's any indication that that animal is going to be hard because, you know, we do watch some scary movies and, you know, there's uh, always, if there's a dog, you know, it's not good news for the dog in a scary movie. Um, and so I will always tell her, you know, I can't, so I'll, I'll put my, my fingers in my ears and close my eyes because I, I can't um, do that. So for, for you to, even though I know it's not real, you know, sure just that, that, um, I just can't do that. But so for you to do that in real life is so powerful and so strong. And, and I, you know, I really admire that.
2: Well, uh, I think we could all do what we would be, we'd be surprised what we're capable of, but I'm the same way. I am the same way. I am not someone who looks at this stuff and, you know, maybe there was probably an element of some distance and some willful blindness on my part to be able to do that. We all have to do that. I think on some level, um, perhaps the fact that, you know, they weren't right there in my face, they weren't, right? There's something also very anonymous about shooting, using guns rather than, st- you know, using knives, right. right? So, I mean, so there's all these elements that made it possible for me. In that moment, I just felt like I was, I felt like I, I, I was able to do it, but, um, but I'm the same way. I mean, I do not, I, you know, I haven't done this, <laughs> I've only done it once. Uh, sorry, sorry, I haven't done it again.
0: So, you know, we had mentioned to you before we started recording that we were, we just recently interviewed a friend of yours, Bridie Reed from World Vegan Travel, Mm -hmm. and I know you do some of these tours with her. Um... And it's my understanding too. One of our uh, community members, she's actually does some work for us. Danielle, she uh, had mentioned something about you going on touring the counties of California recently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that no, true? It Did you go to county me. in California?
2: I'm such a dork. My husband and I just love California so, <laughs> and we just, you know, we 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 tried to be mindful in the way we live and how we spend our time and. We do love to travel, whether it's local or you know internationally, but we made the decision a few years ago and we have no we have no target date, maybe just the end of our lives. I don't know. But the idea is to sleep in every county in California. And um, and what it does is it just allows you to go to places and see places and meet people that you would otherwise not go to and to still find something valuable and something beautiful in these places And so because you know there's some counties in California that are not like the most they're not where like you know they're not like the high tourist areas and uh, and yet we have found something beautiful in everyone. Now there are 58 counties although I found out recently that Texas has like <sighs> took that.
1: Yeah, I yeah. was like, hey, really, is
2: that all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. People, like, but elsewhere, they're like, wow, that's a lot. i know, like, oh, we got a lot of work to do. And then, like, Texas has, like, 150, I don't know, something yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, well, that's, and that's, also, so this is an ongoing project. This isn't like a, you know, um a weekend blitz for you're
2: going to hit all 50. Oh gosh. You have to sleep. That's the rule is that it's not just going, it's sleeping over. And that means that we go to some kind of bar or restaurant so that we're interacting with locals. And that part of the point is to, is to get to know the people as much as you can in a day. But I mean, you know, the idea is to obviously see the beauty or see things or, uh, you know, patronize a restaurant or a winery or whatever but also to interact with the locals and we've had some really fun um, interesting interactions with people
1: right well you know I think we need to we need to um, expand our our local travel a little bit too Vicki we um, in the past have done that but we kind of do the opposite we go to where like nobody is so there are quite a few um, kind of ghost town type places around uh, here or like historic places where like, you know, the population is down to 10 and we oh, kind of seek okay. those places out <laughs> okay. and hit up the cemeteries and stuff But we might need to, to uh, revise a little bit so that, we, yeah, we do have some interaction because um, that's a fascinating way to, to kind of get out and, and um, not to mention, um, you know, just seeing places, but also, interacting with people and trying new food and trying new, you know, getting new experiences too. So that's so cool.
2: Yeah. Well, you can make your own rules. So do whatever you want. And that's the fun of it. We make, we make our rules and it's fun too, because you know, we do go to places that would be considered not very vegan friendly and we always find something. And I know people have this perception that we're in California and of course every place we go is vegan friendly. Not necessarily the case. You go East of where we are, you go North of where we are, go south. I mean, like, you know, there's lots of areas that are not on the coast. I mean, we're in the city, but that's not the case in all these other rural areas, but we always find something and we find that people are accommodating wherever we go. And that's, that's the fun of it as well as kind of challenging ourselves in that way.
0: And you know, Colleen, it's funny, we have the opposite problem. A lot of people think when we're from Texas that we have no vegetarian or vegan places. And actually, we had our wedding catered by a vegan caterer. Mm. And we have like quite a few very good vegan restaurants within San Antonio. Now, if you go out to the rural areas, you might not find that much. But I mean, in the metropolitan cities like Austin, and San Antonio, and I would even venture Dallas, you're going to find some really good vegan and vegetarian restaurants.
2: It's all about perspective, perception, and being willing to be wrong. And I love being wrong all the time because we can't judge anything based on what like what our notions are we're always there's always surprises i mean maybe that's the good thing maybe having one notion is good because then we're surprised um and that's a lovely thing to be but uh but no it's great and i'll tell you like the bay area in san francisco here it's not as great as people think it's a little unfair to compare us to la in the sense that you know, I mean, San Francisco is an eight mile, you know, eight square mile city. Like it's a pretty small area. Um, You know, Oakland's obviously bigger than that. And so is the kind of larger Bay Area. But L.A. is so spread out. So it's not fair to say like, oh, L.A. has these incredible uh, restaurants. It's true, but it's not apples to apples. We're getting better here in the Bay Area. I mean, what California has is we are quite literally the breadbasket of the of the country. I mean, this is where most of the food is grown when it's grown in 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 this for the states for distribution. Um, So we get, you know, I have a farmer's market within a two mile, three mile radius every day of the week throughout the year. Like that's pretty awesome. But when we're talking about restaurants that sit down, kind of enjoy a meal and have delicious food, it's not as much as you think, but it's but it's actually getting better.
1: Well, that's amazing. I mean, the the just the thought of having now we have more farmers markets in San Antonio here than we used to, but just the thought of being able to get up and just you know head out first thing and go to a farmers market every single day is incredible.
2: Yes, and we're very grateful.
0: Okay, so let's get back to the book a little bit because there was a couple of other things that I pulled out from there that I really wanted to uh, talk about, and one of the things that um, you mentioned, Colleen, is about how you know like with with anything any community you start to get these like factions within the community mm-hmm. and i think what can get lost sometimes is when one faction starts like shaming another faction On where they are. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know you talk about like evangelism and fundamentalism and all of that. And I think that's, that's a very important point to make because I think especially with social media, we start to see like a lot of like this cyberbullying in all sorts of communities. And the plant based community is no exception. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yeah, where you have humans, you have factions. (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, you have, I guess any animals, you have factions, right? I mean, animals, we're all kind of territorial and in, in our way. And, you know, we're very tribal. I mean, humans are very tribal. It's, it's kind of built into our bones it's 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 built into our evolution and a lot of that was because we were protecting ourselves in the and the you know the tribe that was over there was a threat to us and you know so we still have that and it's it is quite normal and natural but i think we could do better at just at least recognizing that they might not be us and we might not be them and we can still at least live among one another especially since we're not as much of a threat as we once were um the threat it seems to me, is really more a threat of ideology, rather than any kind of, you know, physical threat. Uh, So we could probably relax a little bit, but there is something to that. And I think it happens in every movement, in every context, in every, you know, kind of group, is you get this, uh, you get these factions, and then You get what uh, Freud termed, the narcissism of small differences, where you are more inclined to argue with or see fault in groups that are more similar to you than in groups that are less than similar to you. So there's almost like a more of an outrage that someone... Uh, who is in the vegan community? If if a vegetarian comes along, or if someone comes along in, in a community where are vegans and they're vegan for ethical reasons, and someone comes along who's vegan for health reasons, like we're, it's almost like we're more outraged by that intrusion or what we perceive to be an intrusion than just the rest of the world who's like not doing anything at all, like who's still eating animal products, and so. I talk about it because I think it is a problem, and I think it is something we all can be mindful of and and be aware of and maybe do our best to not uh, f- further uh, so and we see that 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 's exactly what it is right it's the it 's the animal people the health people the you're uh, no oil, if you are oil, if you're gluten- free like all these like ridiculous arguments that happen because of these differences that don't matter. What matters is that we're all just doing the best we can to you know not consume animal products and we are such in the mi- minority we need to stick like you know at least appreciate each other. We don't have to agree, but we could at least not fight and <laughs> and be just be grateful that we're like among people who are also not eating animal products when the majority of the rest of the world does.
0: One of the quotes I pulled out was, "Many become addicted to outrage and mistake it for active activism," and I, I think that's absolutely right.
2: No, I yeah, think it, in the political. Sorry, Larissa. No, no, no. Go know, for it. Go for it. In the political climate, is that we think, you know. We think if, you know, the more outraged we are, it shows how much we care. And we think that's a form of activism, especially today on Twitter and, you know, uh, around politics and all the divisiveness in that area. It's, again, it's in every kind of group. But, uh, But we really, like, that's not activism and that's not helpful. My husband always says, you don't get more than one vote, you know, just because you're angrier than the next guy. That doesn't mean you get more than, you get one vote. And like use your vote, but like you being more outraged isn't actually going to do anything effective.
1: Right. And, you know, to, to add one more quote on top of, uh, on top of the one that Vicki just um, quoted uh, from your chapter on just this, on evangelism and fundamentalism, um, you say, and I think this is perfect, we can be enthusiastic without being overzealous, informative without being didactic, knowledgeable without being preachy, and preachy without being proselytizing. And I think that just like sums it up absolutely perfectly. Well, thank you because I want to
2: make it clear because of course, there are people who have heard me say these things and they mistake it for saying that that I'm saying that we should be complacent, that we should be passive that we shouldn't you know that we should be inactive that we shouldn't be activists, that we shouldn't be angry. I'm not saying that like at all what I'm saying is that there is a line between being angry in terms of it being fuel for us so that we can be effective and active and being outraged to the point where it's just the out, the outrage is the end rather than the means to the end. Um, and of course we can be passionate. I'm one of the most... You know opinionated, passionate people I know <laughs> and like uh, but that doesn 't mean i 'm you know a jerk, and it doesn't mean i 'm uh you know kind of spewing all over everybody else, so it 's just a matter of finding a line, and that takes practice, and it takes the desire to actually recognize that it 's even more effective to be passionate without being without being outraged all the time, and we just have to be honest with ourselves as well because I think. I think, um, and, and a lot of that has to do with who we spend our time with and, you know, who, who we surround ourselves with and the ideas we surround ourselves with. I mean, you talked about your community being really supportive. That makes a huge difference. If we're in a community where everyone's going, yeah, 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 they're all horrible people. Oh, my God. Aren't they terrible? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, we're going to all feed that, but if we're in a community where someone says, "Hey, I just want to, I just want to kind of mirror back that didn't sound," you know, let, let's all be kinder. Let's all just kind of let's let's not continue that conversation because it doesn't seem like it's productive. Let's be better. Let's raise the bar. I mean, those that that really makes a difference. We have to be mindful of who we spend our time with.
1: Right, and I think the other thing is that it's it's helpful to keep the mindset that it's all about welcoming people um and encouraging people um you know to make the best decisions for them you know but welcoming them them into to the community instead of distancing people and saying you know well if if you don't do xyz you're not good enough and you know why bother i mean i think that's the whole the whole thing that keeps that keeps us at least motivated and keeps our community um, so cohesive. Well, and like one of
0: the things you say in the book is meeting them where they are. You know, you can't just expect them to be on chapter 10 when they're just maybe in the, you know, chapter one, they're just starting to say, hey, what is this veganism, vegetarianism thing? Can I, uh, is this, this might be interesting to me. And if you're expecting them to be like at chapter 10 already, you just, you may, may have lost them.
2: For sure, and you know it 's not to say that we can 't raise the bar and and still and you know just kind of encourage each other to stretch our comfort zones and just to do a little better, like we can still do that, but we have to remember where we were once, and I think that 's one of the things that happens you know I use the analogy of of becoming awake when you learn these issues, whatever these issues are for you, whether it's the, the detrimental effects on our health, eating animal flesh and fluids, whether it's the obviously the effects on the animals, on the environment, whatever it is, we become awakened to these uh, issues. But ironically, one of the things I say in the book is that we also, after becoming awake, can also develop um, like we just forget. Like We also forget that we were once asleep. And so it's very easy to like get on the other side of it and get so enthusiastic and so passionate and so wrapped up in it. And, and that becomes our lives and that becomes our worldview. And that's fine, but we can't have amnesia and forget that there was a time when we were asleep because not only... Not only because that we're more apt to become arrogant and uh, self-righteous, so that's not good for anybody. But also, we're not very good at, at guiding other people who are, you know, just becoming awake. If we expect them to understand it all and have all the answers and and be much farther along than we think they should, if we have forgotten that we too were once asleep and we too were, you know, are on this journey as well.
1: Well, and I think that remembering that is crucial to um, having empathy for people who are at different points on, on this journey.
2: Absolutely. I think empathy is, I think, that's exactly right. Absolutely.
1: When you talk about um,
0: stretching your comfort zone, that, that's a great point. And you talk uh, talking about that philosophically, but also about it in a from a palate perspective. That's one of the things you bring up in the book. And when I read that, I thought that is so right on because before we became vegetarians or when people, I think a lot of times when they think about being vegan or vegetarian, they think about restricting mm-hmm. and how much they won't get to eat versus changing your mentality to think, wow, how much do I actually... Get to eat. I mean, there's like, – and good food, you know, that that is more in line with your values now. But I know when we were still eating meat before 2013, before we became vegetarian, we – we're, we were kind of having the same thing over and over again, and didn't, didn't, which mostly entailed meat. But it really helped us to expand our palate. Like Larissa likes to joke that before she became vegetarian, she would never really liked salad, <laughs> and that was one, something that I think her palate just adjusted to over time, to where she started getting more fruits and vegetables. I've always eaten fruit, fruits and vegetables my entire life, but uh, she didn't really do that, and um i think it's just important for people to th- to 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 know too that it's not about restricting it's actually expands
2: Absolutely. And you don't know that until, I mean, obviously you can eat fruits and vegetables and not be vegetarian. Obviously that's for everybody, but truly what happens is we do get into ruts and we eat the same foods again and again, and we go to the same restaurants and we order the same dishes. We get into these ruts and it, it's, it's not even just individual foods, it's cuisines, right? It's the spices, it's the flavors, it's the textures, like trying all these different things. It does expand your palate and it expands your worldview, but you don't get To get there, unless you, I really do think like it really makes a difference when you just at least let go of them for a time period. It's one of the things I talk about in my 30 day vegan challenge is that when you do it for 30 days, as opposed to just saying, Yeah, I'll eat more vegetables, I'll eat more, and I'll eat less meat, you don't really do it unless you're kind of giving yourself this challenge and saying, I'm going to do it for a time period. Because then when you go to a restaurant and you go out with friends, you know, if you're just saying, I'm going to cut down, you go out and you go, oh, I'll start tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. But if you say, oh, I'm doing this thing for 30 days, what, what else is there that I wouldn't have chosen to got to get out you know, at another time otherwise? And so you'd start going, wait a second, I wouldn't have gotten this. This is really good or that cuisine or this new restaurant or this food or this vegetable. So it really does open your eyes and opens your palate. And that's That's a good thing, right? We don't want to just get stuck and be completely, right? (laughs) That's the whole point of living is to try new things and evolve and be open.
1: Well, and you know, the other other, uh, thing, the funny thing about doing it for 30 days is that you're going to get hungry. And I swear as much as I can eat the same things, you know, I, even I would get sick of the same like five things over and over for 30 days. So, you know, I'm going to get hungry. and I'm going to say, Hey, wait a minute, let me try this, <laughs> you know, and, and, and find some things that are, are not those five things that I would normally eat.
2: Totally. You force yourself into new, new things. That's a yeah. good thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, Colleen, you have two
0: podcasts of your own, correct? You have Food for Thought, and then you have a newer podcast, Animology. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yes, yes. Well, I've been doing Food for
2: Thought. I'm um, in my fourteenth year, and nice. uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just really love the audio medium. I've, I've. I always have. And uh, yeah, I started it as just a way to debunk myths and to give people the tools and resources, uh, as I said earlier, to enable them to manifest their, their values and their behavior. So it covers everything. I mean, food, nutrition, communication, all the stuff we're talking about in these stages. Um, Uh, You know, relationships, advocacy, everything. And I would talk a lot about communication and then language and then also uh, etymology of words. And as I'm just very interested in in words and language and I started, uh, I coined the term etymology. I think I did. At least, if I'm wrong, <laughs> someone tell me. I think I did. Uh, and it's about the animal-related words and expressions we use. So it's fascinating to me. It is just absolutely fascinating to me. And both good ways, negative and neutral. Like there's words that you have no idea come from animals. For instance, the word muscle comes from the word musculus, which is Latin for little mouse. Because when the you know when the anatomist coined that term muscle, he it, the movement of a muscle reminded him of a little mouse moving under a blanket so uh, so here we have the word muscle you would never know that right so, but isn't that fun isn't that amazing It shows how connected we are to other animals that's just one example. then of course you have words that we are familiar with uh, and so you know how did we come to the, you know, the, the, the word it usually has to do with again either our relationship with or some Kind of exploitation of uh, animals, and so we have all those words, and then we have expressions, and we have positive ones, but we also have a lot of negative idioms. You know, kill two birds with one stone. There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's no room to swing a cat. Like all these things, and so I just unpack our our the language we use that's related to animals. And my theory is that how we talk about animals affects and reflex: how we treat them and how we perceive them. So I just love the, I just love doing the research. I love it myself and, uh, and my audience uh, really loves it as well. So it was, a, it was, it made sense to kind of give it its own podcast. And that's why I, that's why I spun off Animology.
0: Uh, Language is very powerful. And Larissa and I, it's funny, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of Animology, but uh, you know, I, when I hear certain phrases, I cringe, like especially the skinning a cat. We have three rescue cats and it just makes me cringe every time I hear that. But we, Larissa and I had started even redoing some of our own. I don't remember.
1: Yeah. One of them we did was uh, instead of kill two birds with one stone, I think it was harvest two turnips with one pole.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it is, it is very powerful. You're absolutely right. I think that really impacts what we as a society, what things we kind of accept to me, it's very powerful.
2: It is. I'm actually really excited I and mean, hopefully everything will go forward considering uh, what's going on right now you know with, with uh, hopefully coronavirus will be a thing long gone by the time people hear this you know years from now. but um, but travel is you know everything's just kind of up in the air right now, but I am speaking um, at a TEDx event in May and I'm so excited and it's specifically about how um, how powerful our words are and really what they say about us and, and how they how they affect us and how they affect others.
0: Wow. Right, now, are, are these weekly podcasts or? Yeah, I'm ramping
2: back, back up again. Uh, I, I, I slowed down with when I was writing the book. So I'm ramping back up right now. It's biweekly, but I'm actually right now working on a bunch of new episodes. Um, so I'm going to bring it back to weekly, which is my goal, my hope. So that's the
0: plan. Very cool. So Colleen, we've really appreciated having you on the show. Can you let folks know where is the best place that they can find you? yeah
2: joyfulvegan.com is probably the best i mean people can just search for my name cuz my webs my main website is com, but that's a mouthful, and people don't, you know, even just go up to the address bar anymore, right? And say www. Like yeah. just in my name, you'll find my main website, Colleen Patrick goudreau which has all of my work from all these years. Um, but joyfulvegan.com right now is mostly for the book, and it has some uh, some information on it. And it you can link right to my main website from there. So joyfulvegan, and I'm I'm joyfulvegan pretty much on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter very much, but on Twitter, and then. You know, same thing with uh, Facebook. If people just searched for Colleen Patrick Goudreau, there's the public page, which is, uh, it says vegan author uh, and speaker or something like that. So they can find me. I'm not hiding anywhere.
0: Oh, very cool. And of course, we'll have all the links in our show notes for for folks.
2: Fantastic. So lovely to speak with both of you. And thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you. It was great. And I'm sorry, go ahead, Larissa.
1: I just said absolutely. It was really great to have you.
0: Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed our interview with Colleen Patrick-Goudreau. What a great what! I mean, podcasting for fourteen years—fourteen
1: years—that is crazy. Yeah. That makes
0: us feel like rookies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was so great to talk to her about her new book again. On uh, it is on. It is titled "The Joyful Vegan," and you can uh, head out to the show notes, and we'll have links to everything she mentioned and everything we mentioned in the interview. For sure.